Thank you for standing by. Welcome to the ProMedicus Half-Year Results Briefing. All participants are in a listen-only mode. There will be a presentation followed by a question and answer session. If you wish to ask a question, you will need to press the star key followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. If you wish to ask a question via the webcast, please type it into the Ask a Question box and click Submit. I would now like to hand the conference over to Dr. Sam Hubert, CEO. Please go ahead. Thanks, and thanks everybody for joining us on this presentation. Uh, for those that uh, have not met us before, we are a healthcare RT company specialising in enterprise imaging and radiology information systems. We work in three jurisdictions, Melbourne, Australia, our corporate office, Berlin in Germany, our R&D base for the Visage product, and US, which is our largest market. The company has two product streams, Visage Ritz, which does the um, practice management side of the practice, billing, scheduling, um, uh, and interface to payers, and Visage 7, which is the clinical side, it's the radiologist's desktop, and it's the product we sell in North America. In terms of the half-year results, I think a few key things. It was a record half for us. We had four contract wins in North America, plus a major renewal of New Florida, and importantly, we completed three very large-scale implementations in our Nova, Alina, and Levant. Um, we had the RSNA, which is the big conference in Chicago at the end of November, beginning of December, and I think it was a, our busiest today. We are progressing well with our otherologies and AR, which I'll talk about a little later. And we think the first half forms uh, the base for a stronger second half, and we'll talk about that uh, as well. In terms of the key financial metrics, again, we feel they're all headed in the right direction. Uh, again, the um, you know, profit after tax grew by over 30% period on period, and revenue was up 28.3%. Uh, and because of that, we uh, declared a fully frank dividend, interim dividend of 13 cents per share, which is which is up uh, over 30, was up 30% um, period on uh, period on period. In terms of the revenue splits, uh, the salmon colour at the bottom uh, is transaction revenue, which, as you can see, grew as expected, where the blue, which is um, support revenue, which is also recurring, um, did grow as well, and in total, uh, the revenue um, grew, in, we think, in a healthy fashion. In terms of the actual highlights themselves, as I mentioned, we did have the New Florida renewal, uh, which was actually at a higher per transaction rate and for a longer period than the original contract. We had three sales we announced as a group uh, back in August, again to show the, um, the segmentation of the market that we, we deal in. It's not just the high end, but also in the medium and some of the smaller practices and things such as all three products or full stack and cloud enable that. We did announce a new uh, mid-sized uh, IDN contract in Luminous Health. We uh, did the three implementations, and as I mentioned before, RSNA uh, 2022 was uh, our most successful today. The uh, operational model used in the uh, vast majority of our contracts, particularly in North America and Australia, again, it continued to deliver results. We saw upside as our client volumes grew and it is providing us with an annuity-style revenue stream with far greater predictability. We, uh, we believe we show good operating leverage. It's a highly scalable offering. 
we don't have any capex in as much as we tend not to provide hardware and with cloud no hardware at all. Um, our training and uh, installations are charged as professional services. We have continued to contain our cost base and um, as in previous periods, the margins continue to grow as our footprint increases. So financial year 23 a year to date, we are tracking ahead of budget. I think our chairman mentioned that in November and that continues to be the case. We are seeing client volumes like for like um, at above pre-COVID levels, indicating growth either organically or through acquisition. We've seen the ramping up of the three major contracts we implemented in the first half, and supplementing that are several of the smaller implementations, including Montage and Bay that we, uh, we announced back in August. And then early in the new year, we got out of the gate fairly quickly, uh, announcing a tier one major academic in New Washington based out of Seattle, and Samaritan Health, another mid-sized IPM. In terms of the markets we work in, clearly we still are the most successful in the Tier 1 academic space. New Washington will uh, will add to that in this half because they are regarded in the top 20 hospitals in the US and they have a particularly strong uh, radiology program and we continue to um, work on opportunities in this, uh, in this academic space. I think the other thing that's really occurred that seems more prevalent even though it was occurring in background is our penetration of the integrated delivery network space or IDN space. It is the largest single segment of the market. Um, we did have existing clients in, in that space in Mercy, Sutter, Intermountain and more recently MedStar, but we have gained um, fair momentum in the space with six sales to IDNs over the last 18 months. All of the sales have been for more than one visit product, a trend that we see um, as positive and continuing. All six opportunities uh, are either fully or will be fully cloud deployed, and we are seeing an increased network effect in this market segment. In terms of the risks, uh, it did contribute to growth in the Australian business, which was up approximately 10%. Uh, the uh, key contracts that we have uh, with uh, Loomis, previously Primary Care, and I'm in the uh, two biggest uh, providers in Australia. The Loomis rollout is now complete. It is transaction-based, and as they continue to add new practices, we get some of that upside. There is increased market um, interest in new opportunities, and I think it's clear to say we are the undisputed leader of risk in, in Australia. So what makes Vizar 7 um, Different from others, I think we are number one in the three key areas of speed, functionality and scalability and we believe, if anything, we've extended our lead um, in terms of technology leadership and our, our domination of these three uh, brackets. Things that are driving adoption, clearly large data sets. Many of you have seen this slide before, but uh, we just saw a very interesting uh, analysis in the US where breast imaging and screening is rapidly transitioning to breast synthesis from 2D mammography. That is creating a massive um, uh, data um, silos for, for practices simply because mammography is in the hundreds of megabytes. Uh, breast synthesis, which is like multiple mammograms in, in one image, is in the gigabytes. And we've seen a massive transition to um, 
TBT or breast panel synthesis. So we we see breast imaging as almost a canary in the coal mine. It, it, when networks crack within an organisation, um, the imaging networks, it's almost always breast imaging that is the first one to crack the network and make it too slow for use and hence one of the things working in our favour. Legacy technology, uh, the reason for that is it's compress and send. You have to compress the file, send it down the network and a workstation at the other end has to unpack that file and then do all the manipulation locally. The other thing is the entire file must be there for that manipulation to occur and the files are just getting too big regardless of bandwidth. Uh, our model is totally different. Uh, we don't know of anyone that's been able to replicate it. And what we do is we take the file from, uh, near real time. We uh, render that file, do all the 3D advanced visualization, and then stream the pixels. So we don't actually move the file. It's one of the key uh, ingredients behind the on-demand nature of our product that's virtually instant and one of the key features that allows it to work so well in cloud. So if you look at our um, map of the Visit Streaming 7 streaming technology, you, you see you see the um, at the top we have all the other ologies hanging off it. We have research packs and we have a whole number of other um, modules including our archives and workers. So the, the whole concept is the streaming technology, the streaming back end is the central piece of an entire suite of product um, that hangs on and around it. The three different co uh, contracts that we won, um, Montage Health, the regional IBM, Bay, which is a private radiology group that were very familiar with our product as they uh, have been reading for Sutter Health now for eight years and using the business platform and decided to then um, acquire it for their own private practices. And CHOP, which is the only one of the three yet to be implemented that will be implemented within the next six weeks. That is the uh, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia one of the top children's hospitals in the US. So I think these three deals uh, do indicate that you know we can address a far bigger market segment than people thought before and we can get to the smaller and medium-sized IDMs as well as the larger ones that we've traditionally dealt with. Uh, University of Florida Renewal, again, seven-year, $15 million contract. I think the key thing is both sites are now on a transaction-based model whereas one was on a more capital model before, so they've now been put onto the same model and um, they've renewed for a longer period than the original contract. Luminous Health, this uh, was the last one we did in the half. It's a seven-year, 15 million transaction-based contract at minimums. It is a well-regarded RDN-based out of an office in Maryland. It is the full stack, which is all three products, fuel, workers and archive. It is to be fully cloud deployed, and as I mentioned earlier, it um, certainly helps increase our footprint in, in that very large mid-sized IBM market. It's one thing to sell it, another thing to put it in. Um, we believe that one of our key strengths is the way that we are able to seamlessly and rapidly implement these systems, taking what used to be, in some cases, a two-year fast process and bringing it down literally to weeks, months and weeks. Um, all of our implementations are on our ahead of schedule. Uh, those uh, that we've recently sold all being scheduled for at the end of this half or early next half. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, the three big RDMs that uh, we implemented back in the uh, first half, it's clear the decks to enable us to take on 
uh, new business. So, lighter people buy us when we're the most expensive, and I think uh, it's becoming more and more prevalent in the market that we have a proven ROI. And that ROI is not just financial, but also clinical, which is equally, if not more important. We allow the radiologist to do more or do things that they otherwise couldn't do or would take too long to do previously. So clinical outcomes is the key one for us. We believe we are moving the needle. There are a few examples that we talked about initially um, at, at our AGM. And just to reiterate, we are doing some very interesting work with um, a Dr. Marion Mabouin in, at Yale, who's a top uh, pediatric uh, neuroradiologist. And um, we are doing work that will allow us to segment, in other words, core out uh, a tumour in 3D, whereas currently most of the measurements of tumours are, uh, you know, very poor approximation in a fixed plane of 2D. Uh, and we are seeing very, um, very interesting results around that and greater accuracy, and there are some trials around that um, being done at the very moment. And then we do things that are not just AI-related. We did do a joint uh, development with NYU Langone where uh, the head radiologist or the, the chair, uh, Dr. Michael Reft, always believed that patients really don't understand what a radiologist does. So they had an Instagram that said, your radiologist is the most important doctor you've never met, um, which I thought was very clever. So this allows a radiologist to do a quick one-minute video of a normal uh, anatomy, a normal x-ray, so an MRI of the shoulder, and then show the patient's MRI and what, you know, where the pathology is or, or where the anatomy is slightly different. And that's accessible by patients through the uh, NYU portal. And it's, had, it's been a resounding success, not just with the radiologists, but also the patients and the, uh, and the referring clinicians. Then the, the topic du jour, the hot topic in radiology at the moment, as in, it is in other areas of medicine, but radiology in particular is the concept that burnout radiologists are being asked to read many, many, many more images in the same amount of time, uh, and it's putting an enormous stress on the system. And you can pick up any radiology magazine, it will be front and centre. I think what we've been able to do is certainly we've been able to and we've been able to measure this increase radiologist throughput and productivity um, in some cases by up to 50%, but in, you know, pretty much in all cases, 25% plus. Now, this is same radiologists, same type of exams. They're just able to do more in a day or in their, uh, their um, parlance. They're able, they don't feel as tired at the end of the day, but in, in essence, they've actually done more than they used to be able to do. So it is becoming a very important factor in purchasing decisions um, and it's a key differentiator between our technology and others. In terms of our growth strategy, many of you will have seen this slide. Um, we are, the key thing is to expand our footprint uh, to new clients, which we continue to do with the additional sales that we get. Transaction growth in existing numbers, as we mentioned, like for like, they're greater than pre-COVID levels. So all of our clients are um, Doing more work, either organically, some of it's industry growth, some of it's above industry growth, some of it is via acquisition. We have new product offerings, and we started in the US years ago with the Visit 7 Viewer. We then supplemented that with the Open Archive, and then 
18 months ago with the Visage Workflow Manager or Worklist. And as you would have noticed in our recent sales, we're getting a number of clients, an increasing number, that'll take all three, which obviously increases the total contract value. But it has another benefit for us. It makes the implementations that much easier because we don't have to interface to third parties. We don't have that complexity, which we can and do handle, but clearly it's easier if we have all of the bits ourselves. Uh, I will talk a little bit more about extending to new geographical markets, Germany being the key one at the moment. Last, uh, we have had a number of recent wins over the years in that market and we are looking to leverage off those wins, particularly in the German market and then the broader European market as uh, the market opens up, uh, particularly with cloud. And we're looking to leverage some of the R&D capability in, in the ideologies and uh, AI. North American pipeline, uh, we believe it's been, it's, it's extremely robust at the moment. We've seen uh, increased intake of RFPs, particularly over the last 18, 24 months. We uh, had our best RSNA ever. We had the greatest number of leads generated. Um, and we've already received um, some RFPs as a result of that, which is a lot sooner than we would normally expect, given that the conference finished uh, in December, which is pleasing. Visit 7 Open Archive, I think, uh, again, very uh, instrumental to us. We are seeing more and more clients take it, particularly over the last two years. We do see an opportunity um, selling it back to existing clients as the archive contracts um, start to roll off with their third-party vendors. And it is a very integral part of our cloud offering and full-stack solution. Workflow, similar. It's the newest of our products. It has been... Uh, uh, we have been we have sold it in six out of our last six major contracts, so clearly a product that the market wants. It uh, has the speed and performance of both the archive and, and in particular the viewer. And so again, it's a differentiator in terms of our ability to provide full stack solutions uh, to those clients that want it, and we've seen um, positive traction with it. One viewer, this is the uh, one product that uh, can go across other ologies. We have made um, good progress, particularly in uh, the area of cardiology, which is quite extensive. We currently do do a number of the disciplines and modalities in cardiology, including MRI and CT, and we do do ultrasound, but it is adding in the cardiology-specific um, functionality to, to bring it out to a full suite. Uh, we did uh, highlight um, an injection fraction product, which is we've been pivotal to coming to that point of uh, having a, a comprehensive cardiology offering that we highlighted at RSNA 21. It now is in production as part of the normal product suite, and we are looking to then promote other cardiology-specific functionality um, in the not-too-distant future. Then uh, the most recent was Klaus, which is the rating agency ranked uh, universe, uh, number one in Universal Viewer. I think two things about that. For it to be number one, it must cut across more than one discipline, so radiology and something else. So clearly we are being used across more than just radiology, and it does allow for both diagnostic and review purposes. It's the first time that we've been reviewed by Klaus, and... Clearly, we think this is the way the industry is going away from a sort of core PACS, as they used to call it, to a more enterprise-type viewing platform. And so 
uh, we think this will give us a little bit more, um, people will know us more in this market because of this uh, recent award. Cloud packs, this is the other trend. It's been massive in the last two years. Pretty much all of our deals uh, that we've done have been cloud-based um, and the majority, if not all of them, in the pipeline are either having cloud uh, mandated or as an option. It gives the same ultra-fast performance or if anything, it's actually even quicker than on-premise, which is counterintuitive, but we've seen and heard that from all of our clients to date. We think it... Uh, we are the only ones that can be that can actually truly put um, an institution's radiology business in the cloud at scale. We've proven that um, over the last two years, and importantly, we currently have large-scale implementations in uh, Amazon's AWS, Microsoft, Azure, and Google GCP. So, if a client has a, a preference or an agreement with one of the big three, we're able to. Um, we're able to facilitate that without forcing them into one cloud or another, and we, again, we see that as a massive advantage. Uh, this is uh, recently released. It was a um, joint promotion video between Visage and AWS. We are seeing more and more interest from the cloud providers because radiology is clearly one of the biggest areas um, in healthcare cloud. And as I said, we believe we are leading the charge to bring large institutions into cloud. Finally, um, last few things, AI, which uh, again, I know has been a hot topic, particularly lately with all the press about generative AI. But certainly we see AI and radiology as being key in the future. It is still emerging, um, but we see it being embedded in equipment. We see it for prioritization so that in an A&E, you know, which of the CTs um, does the patient have trauma or blood in the head? Bring that to the top of the list. We see it as a second set of eyes and we see it has functionality in screening and maybe one day um, in the midterm or longer term to an automated diagnosis. So certainly we think um, it will emerge. It's a question of when and how. Those that have been following us know that we have certain um, tools, including the AI Accelerator, which we use with some of our academic clients and allows us to do commercialization with third parties. Uh, and we have a dedicated team, um, our two, uh, two founders in Berlin, both PhD in, in healthcare informatics, um, and uh, we have two people on the ground in the US um, doing a fair bit of work in background to make sure that we're ready for the initial stage of AI. Uh, and finally, we do have a research centre that we established in August 21 at NYU Langone. It took us a little longer because of COVID. Uh, that is starting to bear fruit in a number of collaborations, including the video reports and some AI projects that we're currently working on. Finally, at RSMA, I leave you two thoughts. Uh, our biggest presence today is both in terms of footprint and staff numbers, uh, and we generated uh, more leads than any other year. Just to give you an idea of, of, of the extent of uh, the booth and, and the effort we go through, this is a picture of our booth. Um, it's uh, you know quite a substantial effort. At the back, there are two meeting rooms that are you know one of them will, will hold about 30 people that we uh, build specifically for the conference. Um, and you can see it to the left with with the bizarre slash across it. There's a table in there that sits 12 people plus a theoretic. Um, so it's quite expensive. Now, 
We did make our biggest investment, we believe that's been um, that's been vindicated simply because we're able to do more demonstrations and uh, and again get more leads than any previous year. And in terms of our staff, there's uh, just a quick photo. There's uh, yours truly, playing myself in the middle of blue, um, but all, all the rest. So it is quite a big logistic exercise for us. So finally, finishing off, um, most successful half in company's history. North American footprint continues to grow uh, strongly. Uh, the full stack solution has been uh, taken up by more and more clients, and we see that continuing. Uh, proven remote implementation and support capabilities, so even though we're post-COVID, we now have a hybrid model. Cloud is a massive advantage for us um, that we think will, uh, will push us even further ahead of competition. Um, and we think we have an unparalleled value proposition, both clinical and financial ROI. Anyway, I'll finish there. Thank you very much, and um, we'll open up to any questions. Thank you. If you wish to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone and wait for your name to be announced. If you wish to cancel your request, please press star 2. If you're on a speakerphone, please pick up the handset to ask your question. Please limit your question to two per person. If you wish to ask further questions, please rejoin the queue. If you wish to ask a question via the webcast, please type it into the Ask a Question box and click Submit. Your next question comes from Gary Sheriff RBC. Please go ahead. Morning, Sam and Clayton. Just confirming you can hear me okay? Yep, yep. Perfect. Uh, two questions. Uh, first one, cash flow. That investments in financial assets, that's gone up materially in the first half to 13 mil versus one mil uh, in PCP. Maybe just remind us, what exactly is that spend and how should we think about that one going forward? Yeah, the overall financial assets haven't gone up that much, so it's just what we've sold. If you're looking through the cash flow, that's just purely the amount that we've bought over that period, but it's offset by the amount that we've sold during the period as well. So um, the investments are 12.9, but we've sold 11.1 through the same period. So overall, we still have 29 million of other financial assets compared to 27 million last last or same period, 30 June. Got you. Okay, so it's just net netting off one another. That's no trouble. Um, the next question I've got, um, just in re regards to that tax paid, that that really jumped up, and I know that's not that's outside of your control. Um, again, how should we be thinking about that? It um, it is a big jump from from what it was on PCP, 12 and a half million versus four and a half last time. Sorry, what was that? I missed that, Gary. The 12. Oh, I think tax. about 12 and a half year tax paid last year, uh, this year versus you know four and a half last year. Just a very big jump. Um, is there anything changed there? I know it's out of your control largely, but just trying to check on that. Yeah, it's a, um, purely, especially after a 30 June, the first half, you, you're doing pay as you go as you go throughout the period. And then if you lodge a return or you think you know what your return will be for 33rd June within the first half and there's some additional tax to pay, that's when you'll have to pay it. Um, unfortunately, we're making, or fortunately we're making more profit, but unfortunately we're paying more tax. All fine. Um, and last one, just on new products, when should we expect some first material revenues, I guess, from other ologies and AI revenue? I think we've always said this calendar year, so we, we, I just to qualify that, we're talking about 
you know, first revenues, how material they'll be, that, that will be, uh, you know, obviously we'll have to wait, but um, we are we are still aiming for this calendar year. So this calendar year, Sam, for revenues, but not necessarily, I guess, material from the uh, product. They could be material, I just want to temper it because it's one of those things, uh, how long is a piece of string, but we, we are getting close to commercialisation on a few things. Um, and materiality is the fact that our other revenues are going up um, even, you know, quickly. Um, so look, it could be material. I'm just saying we're looking at, um, you know, first half of this year. Okay, good. I'll uh, jump back into the queue. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from Josh Kimnekaris with Baron Joey. Please go ahead. Hi, Sam and Clayton. Thank you for taking my call. Um, First question, just with regard, obviously you talked about the big RSNA, uh, best ever, RFPs coming a little bit sooner. Um, you've won $84 million worth of contracts to date. Historically, there's sort of been a bit more in the second half. How should we think about, I guess, the pipeline into the second half of the year and just what visibility you have on some of the progression of those those contracts and RFPs into the second half of 23? Yeah, look, it's like a continuum. Um, so we're actually working on some of the opportunities from the previous year, because as you know, these, these opportunities are usually 12, 18 months, sometimes longer if they're bigger, uh, and they're all continuing. I think the important thing is we are seeing more inbound. So as we um, as we contract with a number like Luminous and you know the others before, and recently UW and Samaritan, clearly they drop out of the pipeline. Uh, and to have a robust pipeline, you need new things coming in. And so um, I, I think we're happy that the, our conversion rate is still very, very high, much higher than the industry, and then that there are new things coming in to replenish it. And I think the other thing about the pipeline is, you know, in the past we may have been a bit pigeonholed, tier one academics, there are 30, 40 of those, you've got 10, you, you know, you don't have much runway left. And I think... So recent sales show the spread of opportunity across different market segments and the pipeline reflects that spread. I think that's important as well. And Sam, just to follow up on that first question, you mentioned obviously the relationship mm. and the interest from the cloud providers. You know, Are you starting to see mm. any leads from some of those major cloud providers um, and how do you sort of see that relationship developing over time? Obviously they've got you know, significant sort of... Um, uh, hooks into government and other big institutions. So, yeah, interested to see where, how you think that yeah. could develop over time. You know, I, we don't expect any cloud provider to exclusively work with us. I don't think, you know, that, that, that that's the case. But the more success we have in the more business we do in the cloud, um, the broader the cooperation. So I think it is fair to say we are receiving broader cooperation um, from the cloud providers because success begets success. And also we, we're one of the few, if not only ones that have proven that we can put large scale implementations in their cloud. So it's a, it's a known industry. So we are, you know, we are uh, working collaboratively um, with all three of them. And I think the AWS um, video is part of the joint, uh, a part of the marketing budget that they um, have allocated towards us for that joint collaboration. So yes. We can't predict what, what will come our way, but um, certainly uh, we, we are hopeful that there will be certain leads coming. 
Thanks, Sam. And just second one for Clayton. On the margins, Clayton, just into the second half, obviously you've got the RSNA impact. Um, you might also mention just around that change in capitalisation, um, obviously impacted the first half by you know, 1.25 million. Just how, how should we sort of think about the cost profile into the second half of the year and any other investments you know, that you, you're expecting? Yeah, in, in terms of the capitalise, that'll be repeated in the second half compared to car periods. Um, so that'll continue. Clearly, RSNA won't. So um, costs, you know, should be uh, relatively flat or go down slightly, obviously, from the marketing spend from RSNA. But, but in terms of margins, we're clearly with the three implementations with Aligner, Inova and Navant, and Navant being mid-December, so we didn't get much revenue from that. That should help increase the margins from the second half. Awesome. Thanks. I'll give someone else a go. Appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Josh. Your next question comes from Melissa Benson with Wilson. Please go ahead. Morning, guys. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. Uh, the first one was just um, perhaps for you, Sam, around the, the one viewer and you're speaking to adding kind of more cardiology features to that product, yeah. how should we think about yeah. um, how should we think about the pricing of that product in the sense of it being relative to like are you guys adding kind of a price increase if if they do have those cardiology features are they kind of optional and as you add more kind of comprehensive features will that be the case or or is all captured within your standard kind of viewer price? Yeah, no, we're we're looking to sell it. Um, as a separate offering uh, in terms of cardiology because of the feature function that if you're not using it for, for those modalities, you most probably wouldn't need it in the standard offering. Um, it is on the same platform as purely a licensing. In terms of the pricing, that's yet to be determined, but I think um, our research, and I think even yours in the market, has shown that there is a higher per transaction fee for cardiology-specific uh, software, but it's still to play out. Uh, I think the main thing is it will be an extension of the same platform rather than a separate product, and we do think uh, it'll have its own pricing with it. That's helpful, thank you. And perhaps one, just to clarify with Clayton, around the, you mentioned a change to the treatment of R&D expense. Um, if you could just kind of clarify what, what the change will be moving forward, how R&D is kind of captured versus the past. Yeah, it's just a, a lowering amount. It's, it's an application of, of how we view their capitalised development costs. So it'll be similar to this half. Um, so it'll be, you know, the second half will pretty much repeat what the sec uh, first half was, and then going into next year, that'll that'll consist of lower amortisation. But is is that in the sense that you guys are kind of getting to a point where you're you're comfortable you're not needing to invest more in R&D or that's being captured in other expense lines? No, we still, so we could increase the amount of development staff we have. It's the mm -hmm. amount uh, that's applicable for capitalisation. Yeah, okay, got it. Thank you. The next question comes from Andrew Payne with CLSA. Please go ahead. Yeah, morning. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, just following on from an early one, uh, talking about the, the volume of contract wins, um, you know, in the, in the near and medium term. Um, just trying to think about this in the context of 
whether there could be an inflection point uh, where you do see some accelerated adoption by the remaining IDNs uh, as they look to deploy the software, um, especially leading up to AI and cardiology becoming more prevalent. Yeah, look, I think the market is one where you don't have this massive inflection point where nothing happens and all of a sudden everything happens. Uh, the organisations do, do come out to RFP um, fairly late in the piece, usually where they can't, you know, they can't exist with their current system. They leave it very late, believe it or not, in most cases. Uh, but we are seeing more and more of those coming, and I think a few things are driving them, data sets being the big one, and breast imaging being the sort of canary in the coal mine for big data sets. So we are seeing an increase. I think the second key driver is um, security. And I think people have realised cloud is far more secure than on-premise for, for multiple reasons. And so those two things are pushing more and more people to look to replace their system maybe sooner than they otherwise would have, and hence uh, the increased numbers of RFP. And as we mentioned, look, we think cloud is a huge driver, and as far as we know, and I think the market knows, uh, to date, we're the only ones that can actually take these organisations and transparently um, you know, uh, migrate them into public cloud. Um, and if anything, as I mentioned, performance is even higher, which is counterintuitive to uh, having your own data centre, but it is. So um, I think cloud, large data sets, go increase cadence of opportunities going forward. Sure, that, that's great. And just also um, looking at some commentary from one of the competitors in the PAX space, uh, they recently said that they think they've overcome the functionality gap between their product and Visage uh, when you compare it to a couple of years ago. Um, just wanting to kind of get your comments on you know, the state of the competition today and how you see that evolving in the coming years. Yeah, that's an interesting one. We've always thought we're 18 to 24 months ahead, and if anything, we think that that gap has actually widened. We don't know anybody that has been able to provide uh, reliably the streaming platform that we have, which is so fundamental to being an on-demand system. We also don't know anyone that's been able to integrate into one product uh, everything from basic 2D chess sets rate to very advanced visualisation of Fusion, 3D, 4D. Um, so, look, again, I can't talk for others. I, I know what we see in the market, what we compete against, um, and pretty much most of them are still compression send, and pretty much most of them are largely 2D and can't do all the advances. And then you've got scalability. You know, it's one thing to do it in a, um, you know, one thing to do it in a, you know, small practice, but when you get to the large sizes of an Intermountain or a Mayo Clinic or an NYU, um, scalability is mandatory, and most people can't get, can't scale to even a quarter of that. That's great. Thanks. I'll jump back in the line. The next question comes from Matthew Chevrolet with Citigroup. Please go ahead. Yeah, good morning, Sam. Good morning, Clayton. Uh, thanks for taking my question. My first one was, again, on uh, competition. Uh, we saw GE Healthcare being spun off, um, and then Philips was undergoing a, a restructuring. I was just wondering if you've seen uh, changes in behavior or level of investments from these uh, players and, and others in the last few months? 
In terms of the equipment manufacturers, no. We haven't seen any um, change in response from GE. Uh, I think, you know, whilst they've been active with their equipment, certainly this, this area of informatics, we really have not seen anything. And I think Philips, um, you know, their major play was somewhere around two years ago when they bought Carestream, the ex-Kodak, that informatics business. And I think the major thing we see there is them trying to just hold on to market share, but we haven't seen any new product offering and we certainly haven't seen cloud from either of them. So whilst it's possible in, in, in you know, in lab they have something, um, uh, and usually they sort of telecast it, as I call it, you know, at RSNA well in advance of its release. Uh, we haven't heard of anything and, and we've not heard of anything from our clients either that either of these two are looking to bring out a new platform. Understood. Thank you. Um, and then, uh, Sam, you mentioned previously uh, that there could be potential changes to EU privacy laws that could help the adoption of um, the cloud across healthcare in Europe. I was just wondering if you if you had any uh, update on that that you could uh, give us. And I'm sorry if I'm I missed it earlier. Yeah. Look, we hear it is all progressing. I think it still needs to be ratified the Transatlantic Pact. Certainly the cloud providers, the big three we're speaking to, uh, are all eyeing off Europe um, as we speak, which is not surprising because clearly there's a you know there's there's a lead time for them, but I think they're looking at it as a new greenfield site certainly for cloud. Now there might be some you know some things that need to be done slightly differently. You might need something like a German telecom in there involved. Have someone local again. I'm not. I'm not the one on the ground, but certainly uh, we do get the distinct impression it is progressing. Understand. And then uh, maybe I can just clarify quickly on um, the pricing uh, strategy, or, or what, what you can say about the pricing strategy of cardiology. I'm sorry if I missed it earlier. I think you mentioned it yeah. would be included in the overall platform price. Am I correct? No, it would be separate. So we'll price it as a separate module. It's just it's just based on the same technology platform. So you won't need new hardware. It's purely licensing software and functionality. Yeah, understood. Thanks very much. The next question comes from Sarah Mann with Molus Australia. Please go ahead. Morning, guys. Um, just. I wanted to ask a question on um, pricing as well. So clearly we're in um, an inflationary environment. Are you seeing any of your competitors use that to kind of step up pricing? And then secondly, like when you come to kind of contract renewals or I guess, um, you know, new contracts, does that kind of give you an extra leg to increase pricing again over what you normally do? Yeah, well, I'll answer the second one first. I think the main thing that allows us to step up is that our clients know what we charge for the software in the current market apropos what they pay for it. So there's a clear delta, you know, it's gone up about 70 plus percent. And so I think that's the main lever. Um, inflation, yes, some, but it's pretty recent. Uh, in terms of competitors, look, we, it's, we never see their quotes. I think, um, you know, it's possible, but I think, you know, some of them, we, we hear the opposite. We hear that some of them have dropped prices because they're finding it hard to compete. 
um, on ROI and technology, but like I said, that's anecdotal because we don't see the quotes ourselves. We are still told we're the most expensive, but, but the only thing I can confirm 100%. Got it. Okay, cool. And then the other question was just on the cost front. So, I mean, you know, you'd flagged clearly you were adding um, headcount, um, and we've seen that in the numbers. Yep. Just wanted to um, understand, like, how much of the increase came from headcount versus, um, I guess, wage increases, and then how you kind of see that playing out? Because clearly, with you know the, the layoffs in, in tech, I mean, hopefully that means some of the pressure comes off. Slash, maybe you can hire, you know, more people. So just trying to understand that. Yeah, I think the majority. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, the majority would come from headcount. We we um, we flagged at the AGM that we'd be bringing on some corporate costs and some new people. Uh, we also flagged that we'd be increasing headcount across uh, all three jurisdictions, which we've done. So US implementations and sales, and also uh, in Europe, you know, product development and um, support. And so that that's been the majority of it. I think we mentioned you know, wage inflation. There's been some, but but the majority would be through uh, headcount. Got it. And so maybe if you wanted to add extra people, you should be able to. Uh, if the if the pressure's coming off and there's more people available, that's just um, potential benefit, I guess, going forward. Yeah, we see that more in the US. You know, you read every day in the paper someone's laid off ten thousand or fifteen thousand people. It's, it's you know. It's hard to believe, but it's true. Um, we see that more in the US. There has been some repercussions here, but it's still early days. But again, look, we're you know a bit over 100 people, so um, any any inflationary pressures mitigated clearly by the numbers. Um, and yes, I think if anything, we we felt a little bit of easing in the you know the job market simply because it's not as hot as it was, let's say, 12 months ago. Right, and sorry, last question from me, just on like M&A, which I guess kind of ties into the comment about tech before, like, I mean, pricing clearly has come down. Um, uh, yeah. Can you give us an update on your strategy um, around, I guess, potential M&A and the, the AI tech space? Yeah, look, you're right, prices have compressed. Um, I think that, you know, that, that's a given. Have they compressed enough and can you still find value? That's the further two magic questions. Uh, look, we are looking at more and more opportunity. You know, we've had Nick Peace join us in June, July last, you know, 22, you know, largely tasked with that. He was at RSNA. We were actually close to all the AI vendors. Um, and, you know, he and Clayton went around with the two AI guys or the two, two guys we have and looked at a lot of stuff. Um, so, look, we are spending more time and resource on it. We will be very, very picky. Um, if we don't find anything, we still think we can satisfy our growth requirements and ambitions organically. Um, but we we feel it's incumbent on us to look and with the way the market's going, um, you know, makes it more attractive. It doesn't guarantee us an opportunity. Great. Thanks very much, guys. The next question comes from Peter Metchenbach with Select Equities. Please go ahead. Um, hi, guys. Um, just a couple of questions. Um, just uh, you, you specifically mentioned the network effect, um, you know, particularly in the IDN space. Um, I mean, I've always thought that that sort of would be felt through sort of, you know, morning coming requests, et cetera, and, and things like that. But 
I'm just trying to get a sense of how else that might be felt. I mean, I'm wondering in particular, does the network effect have any, does it help you get through your pricing with new people perhaps a little bit easier than than, than it was earlier on? Yeah, I think that's actually exactly it. So sometimes in the past we get the, well, of course, Mass General or Mayo or NYU would buy you guys. You know, they buy Rolls Royce. They have big endowments, a lot of money. You know, we're a much smaller regional IBM, and you know, we can't afford you because X. Now, clearly, the more we get, the more we can prove the ROI in that segment of the market. It's just as compelling. And one of the key things people forget is our our solution, both in terms of the software and with cloud. You only pay for what you use, right? Which has never been the case in the industry before. So the smaller guys are prejudiced because they have to buy all this hardware and data center and only use a fraction of it. So I think exactly as you said, that the fact that we can show more and more coming on board, more and more the ROI in that segment of the market, that, that sort of takes away some of the concern that we only for the big guys. Uh, and there are a large number of them, and just like any, any other group, they do talk a lot, uh, and referenceability is always very important. So the more we get, the, 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 I won't say easier, but maybe I'll use the words less hard, even when it's not um, proper English, but it, you know, it does pave the way for, for um, a simpler, a more simplified sales process. Right, that, that's great. And just one other question I had was, I suppose over the years, you know, you've, you've spoken about sort of the potential to sort of pick up some extra exam volumes, I guess, from your existing client base as they, you know, there's a bit of consolidation in the industry and they pick up additional, um, you know, um, competitors, etc. Um, are you able to give us a sense of, of of what those additional volumes sort of might be by now? But they vary enormously from client to client. Um, some of them are small bolt-on, but we've had two um, in Mercy and Northwestern, where they bought, you know, quite a quite a large hospital, roughly 10% of their work on top. Um, and in both cases, they've rolled us out there. So we we've got sort of, you know, we've been able to take up that volume as, as it comes. And what we are finding is that every every single client is growing now, pretty much at you know industry rates or above. So a lot of them are actually able to do things that they couldn't do before, or in some cases they take the radiology in house where they couldn't. So you know we had one client that had massive big city hospitals, but they're more regional hospitals. They had to have an outside reading group that they had to pay for to read those exams they've now been able to take them all in-house with the same radiologist. So, you know, there's, there's all of those dynamics going on. Um, we'd, love, we'd love for clients to make a huge acquisition and roll us out. Um, that would be a free kick. Um, and look, you know, as I said, some are really small bolt-on, some are a bit more material. It just depends on the client. That's great. Thanks, thanks guys. Your first Swift Coast question comes from Curtis Larson with North Capital. Do you see much growth in existing clients taking up additional modules, e.g. archive, workflow, that they did not initially subscribe to, or do customers tend to stick with the modules they took when they signed the contracts? 
We do see this as a you know growing field for us, particularly um, in areas such as archive and workers, which are the two additional uh, modules. For two reasons: one, the original vendors, some of them have fallen by the wayside, and when these contracts roll off, we think we can pick up some of that work. And the other, um, I think, driver for them is you know moving them to cloud. So most of the organisations that are on premise, you know, have some plan within the next few years to migrate to cloud, and that's you know that in their mind is a logical step as to when to maybe put use our archive, put it in the cloud. Or if the workers center that they've got is no longer independent, that, that will push some. So uh, the answer is yes, we, we do see this as a, as a future opportunity with pretty much every client that doesn't have all three. The next question is from Claude Walker with a Retrolife. How much overlap is there in terms of the customer needs satisfied by the workflow products versus visage risks? For example, would a visage risk customer also buy workflow? Also, are you able to give us any sense of how much the workflow product contributes to PAC's revenue? Yeah, well, thanks, Claude. The, the answer is usually not. So the people in Australia that use Visage PACs, um, and that's you know an emerging number, they use the Visage Risk Workers, A, because it was, it was there first, um, and it satisfies their requirements. In the US, we don't sell the risk. So we either did our own work list, which we did, or not have one. So, you know, they're two separate markets, and in the US, it's all Visage Workless here in Australia. Currently, it's all the risk workless. Um, in terms of dollar value, the, the highest dollar value product is the viewer, then the archive, then the workflow. But having said that, the workflow, we are bringing, looking to bring out some additional modules to it, which will increase uh, the total contract value for workflow if they take those modules. So, you know, they're, they're in, in process. We, you know, we'll, we'll announce the market when that happens. So, you could find workflow come up with additional modules to around ARCAP, but at the moment, it's uh, it's the least expensive of the three, but, you know, incredibly well supported by the market. And the second question from Claude. Has ProMedicus lost RFPs out of the pipeline since the last report? If so, why did the company lose that opportunity? Not since the last report, no. We've lost one or two small ones, usually around cost. Um, but no, no, none of the major ones, no. The next question is from Prasad Petka with Platypus. Hi, Sam and Clayton. Can you please confirm how much more product development has to be done for you to make a headway into the other ooglies? Well, that's, a, that's an interesting question because it really uh, depends on... So first of all, the platforms ideally suited. We can show every type of... every image type, radiology images, CT, ultrasound, MR, CT, which are all becoming part of cardiology. And in most cardiology systems, those different modalities are actually handled by different software vendors. The second thing is we can show all reflective light, photos, videos, um, and what makes Visage good for radiology images, uh, you know, is just as applicable to those. So it's really a matter of how much feature functionality do you need in certain areas 
to get version 1.0, so cardiology. Um, but having said that, you know, if you look at, read the sort of what's behind the class sort of, um, you know, award, we are being used across more than one department because you have to be to be the universal viewer to, to satisfy that category. I think it's more being used in, in, in more diagnostic instances rather than review because it's a diagnostic instance where you can charge the most. So, look, we think we're getting closer, but like everything, once you get to version 1.0, Someone will say that's great, but we need this, and we've got a 1.1, 1.2, etc. So it's not a set and forget, but we are, you know, we are looking at, as I mentioned earlier, hopefully commercialising sometime this calendar year, more towards the middle, uh, hopefully. The next question is from Anne Wilkie with Morgan's Financial. You mentioned IDNs are the largest segment of the market, but is that by hospital number or by patient volumes? Number of conflicting reports in the market which say teaching hospitals are 25% of the buildings but 50% of the patient volumes. And IDNs are 50% of the buildings but 25% of volumes. What do you guys see? When we did the analysis, I think it was by, um, we don't look at buildings because we charge by patient volumes, so that's what we look at. And, and as you say, uh, Ian, it's very, very difficult to find any two reports that you can triangulate the data from and, and get a reasonable amount. But we do see, and, and look, RDNs is a, is a loose-ish term. It basically, in our mind, means non-academic uh, hospital groups. Um, now, usually they have community centres, outpatient centres. That's why it's called an integrated delivery network rather than just a hospital network. Um, but no, our, our research indicates that by volume they uh, they are the biggest. But either way, we, we 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 play equally well in either space, and if it turns out they're equal, that's fine too. Your next question is a follow-up phone question from Melissa Benson with Wilsons. Please go ahead. Thanks for the follow-up. Um, this is actually related. I'm just wondering, Sam, you mentioned kind of the, the volume of diagnostic imaging that you're seeing in the system is well above COVID levels. I mean, is that um, in your mind kind of a catch-up or you're seeing kind of, we're seeing a fundamental shift in organic volume growth? Like, you know, maybe that 3% yeah. per year level is no longer appropriate and that's jumped up or, or is there a bit of a catch-up? I think, and again, we don't have hard and fast evidence, but I think most of the catch-up has occurred, you know, because, you know, the things in the US particularly return to normal pre-COVID even earlier than Australia. So you'd think if, if someone was, you know, overdue for screening mammogram, they would have had it by now. Now, I can't say that empirically, but it, it's the sort of, that's what we, we feel in the market. I think it's purely that our clients are able to do more and, um, you know, I think most of them are growing uh, at baseline, um, you know, in, you know, industry or organic growth, which is, you know, mid to low single digits. Um, but I think they're growing more than that. So clearly they're either doing more work or they're opening more centres or able to just do more um, per unit time, which we think they are. So it's all of those things. So it's more that there's kind of a not infinite um, 
demand, but it's more just the ability to kind of fill that. It seems to be the, the I guess, yeah, the so camper on is, it. Yeah. I'll, give, I'll give you an example. We, we one of our key ROI drivers in, in CT is we enable them to do up to 20% more CTs a day um, with the same equipment, same staff. So if they have that demand, they can actually do more. So even if they do 10% more, it's still material. Now, I know it's one modality, but it's still a big one. So they're, they're all sort of different reasons, but we are finding they're actually, and I'm, I'm doing like for like, that they're actually doing more now than they did pre-COVID and consistently doing it. We thought maybe, like, you know, you were alluding to, we'd see a little bit of a hump and then it'd come back. We've seen the hump, but it hasn't come back. Thanks. Your next question is a follow-up question from Andrew Payne with CLSA. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks for the follow-up. Um, just a quick one, just looking at the forward revenue of greater than 450 mil over five years. Um, it's the same as the uh, what you said in at the AGM uh, late last year and you've had a few contract wins. Uh, would have expected that to go up, just checking if um, you know that's just an estimate or uh, Something else going is going on there. Yeah, look, that's that's an estimate, uh, or it's the, the amount, but it's up to the end of December. So we've had the U Washington and the Samaritan. Samaritan since. So that figure will actually be higher than that now. But we just take it to the end of the uh, the, the period, so the end of the December period. Okay, that's great. Uh, that's all I had. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, just another webcast question from Sally Warnford with Schroeders. Is there an opportunity in pathology and histiopathology, cyanotology for PACS or AI? Uh, the, the answer is absolutely, but it is a, you know related to different fields. So the platforms ideally suited pathology creates even bigger files than radiology. They're massive because they're multi-pixel depth and they're coloured. Um, but it's only a pathology, most of it, in terms of volume, is largely biochemistry, you know, blood glucose, cholesterol. None of that requires um, a PACS or visualisation system. Uh, really, it's for histopathology and, and, and blood films. So, look, it, it is a separate area. Is it suitable for the platform? Yes, it, it would be a development into the other ologies. Um, so clearly um, it, it, it's related but not exactly the same. And I think the one thing with pathology is the volumes that they do are far, far smaller because so many a subset of pathology. But look, definitely something we could look at, something the platforms are all suited to, but it's, um, it's not just a drag and drop. The next question is a follow-up phone question from Peter Marchenbrook with Select Equities. Please go ahead. Um, hi guys, look, just actually something probably for Clayton. Um, just on the cash flow, the the trade receivables, well, balance sheet cash flow, um, the trade receivables um, jumped, and I know there's that point there around the increase in new customers with installations towards the end of the period. Uh, would I be right in assuming that the cash flow from that should come in in this next half or the one we're now moved into? Yes, that's right. Yep. 
Right, okay. And, and look, and just on the cash flow, it's a bit of a follow-up from an earlier question, just on the tax. Am, am I right in thinking that that big jump in the tax is, is, is a bit of a timing issue between the halves or...? Yeah, during the year you pay as you go, so it depends how much you're paying based on the previous years. So it's the correct amount of tax, it's just a bigger jump in the period. Okay, thank you. Thank you. We've come to the end of our Q&A session. I'll now hand back to Dr. Hubert for closing remarks. Thanks very much. Look, I just wanted to say thanks everybody for joining us this morning. I uh, really appreciate the questions and uh, if there are any others, by all means, if uh, you know, you'd like to email them to us if we can, we'll, we'll, we'll look to respond to that. And uh, once again, thanks for joining us.